The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Year, session number 520. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful guest to talk about U.S. news and world reports and what it means when medical schools start pulling out of participating in those rankings. Notice my words there, participating in the rankings. Are the rankings going away? What's going to happen? Today, we're talking to Dr. Brian Carmody, a pediatric nephrologist who also was on the show back in episode 475, talking about the future obstacles, potentially, that osteopathic medical schools, a unique obstacle that osteopathic medical schools may face in the future. He had a great YouTube video all about it. You can find him on the Twitter if you go follow at JB Carmody. That's C-A-R-O-M-D-Y. Again, that's J-B-C-A-R-M-O-D-Y. J.B. Carmody. Go find him on Twitter. Let's uh, go ahead and jump in and say hello. But before we do, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you have not created a free account over at Blueprint MCAT yet, what are you waiting for? Did you know that most students who take the MCAT have a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. The majority, almost all of the students taking the MCAT use Blueprint resources every year, year in, year out. Go get a free account. You get access to a half-length diagnostic, a free full-length, their spaced repetition flashcard platform, and most importantly, I think at least, their study planner tool because you can't dwell on the MCAT if you don't have a good plan. Use their free tool. Again, blueprintmcat.com. Dr. Brian Carmody, thanks so much for joining me again here on the Pre-Med Years Podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's an honor as always. I love talking to other opinionated people. Uh, Lord knows I have lots of opinions about things, and so do you. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about something that has been in the news recently, and that is the unparticipation, <laughs> the removal of participation of medical schools, some medical schools from the U.S. News and World Reports rankings. When I first saw law schools doing this, my first thought was, hmm, I wonder what med schools were going to do. Did you have an inkling? Like, were you like, oh, yeah, med schools are next? Or were you like, nah, they're not going to do it? Um, I mean, I... I wasn't shocked. I mean, there's been a sort of a simmering resentment to the U.S. News and World Report rankings among, you know, some of the medical schools for a while. So and and I mean, even before now, I mean, like, you know, um, some of the medical schools had declined to participate in the rankings yep. you know, for various reasons. So um, so really, it was just that the ones who were winning in the rankings decided to drop out, you know, this time. 
Yeah. Where, why do you think there were rumblings? Why, why is there this, was there this kind of miscontent, malcontent, whatever of med schools? Like, oh, why are we doing this? <laughs> well, I think it's because, um, you know, I mean, I guess first you got to acknowledge that, I mean, the rankings do matter. I mean, they matter to applicants. They matter to the way that people perceive the school. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a high stakes competition, especially if your school is really particularly interested in the way that, um, you know, the average guy on the street perceives the school. You yeah. Know? So, um, the thing is, it's a, you know, it's an arms race, you know, you can't just rise to the top of, of the U.S. News World Report rankings just by, you know, by chance. I mean, you have to put in deliberate efforts to, to make sure that your school is excelling on the metrics that are in their formula. And you have to continue to put in that effort year after year in order to maintain that position at the same time that other schools are doing that too. So, you know, it, it becomes um, a significant input for the school administration. And I think that ultimately the calculus was that it's an input that they're putting in that didn't improve their output. Because if you're the schools, like the schools that left, what do you have to, you know, if, if people already think you're the best school, what do you have to, to gain by participating in a competition that might convince some of them otherwise? Yeah. So it's it's interesting, right? It's it's not like here in the US, we have medical schools that go without, right? There There isn't a medical school out there that doesn't fill a class by 50%, right? We see some other uh, professional level schools that are really struggling to fill their seats. Medical school is not the issue, right? There are plenty of applicants. We have we have more applicants than than we have seats for medical schools here in this country. You you had mentioned right, it matters, but then you had mentioned it matters to the applicants. It seems like to me that's really the only place that it mattered is that someone could beat their chest and go, "Oh, I got into a top 20. right. Right. I mean, the point you make is exactly right. I mean, it's not like the medical school is going to uh, not fill its class. Yep. And it's not like they're going to not fill their class with high quality people. I mean, the next person who was on the waiting list or the next person who got rejected would have probably been indistinguishable yep. from the people who got a seat in the class. Yeah. Have you ever looked at the the U.S. News and World Reports methodology? Oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. A lot of people don't. And they just assume like, oh, it must mean this spectacular thing. If if a school is out there saying, hey, look, we're we're number two, number one, whatever on the U.S. News and World Reports. I broke down the methodology previously in other episodes. I have it open here. To me, it's nothing more than a popularity contest for, for a big chunk yeah. of it. <laughs> it's like, hey, w- what do your peers think about your school? Hey, yeah. Right. What do you think about Harvard? Oh, I love Harvard. They're wonderful. Okay, great. We'll rank right. them high. Right. So, yeah, I mean, your your listeners may be already familiar then if you've, you've already gone on tirades about it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I sometimes have to tell people the same things. I mean, it's, um, you know, even, I mean, as you know, I mean, the, a big portion of it is this survey data, you yeah. know, from administrators and, um, you know, program directors. But I mean, in reality, very few of those people have any realistic foundation upon which to, to judge the schools, you know? I mean, they don't know what's going on at the schools. They don't know what the educational, um, you know, sort of inputs or outputs are, except in the very broadest sense. And so, I mean, my honest opinion is that most of those people inform their voting on those things by the U.S. News World Report rankings. So it becomes this <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. of circular logic, you know? So Yeah. You posted something recently where I think it was another institution reached out to someone with gifts and other things 
to potentially sway their vote. What what was the the story behind that tweet? Yeah, so um, so I guess as as foundation, one interesting thing about this whole exodus from the U.S. News World Report rankings for medical schools is that the same institutions that say we're no longer playing this game, the metrics are invalid, whatever, they have many of them have enthusiastically reaffirmed their interest in participating in the U.S. News World Report hospital rankings. Yeah. And um, and I think there the um, it's it's because the economic incentives differ. You know, I mean, like you said, I mean, Harvard's going to have, you know, 100 medical students or however many spots they have. That's how many they're going to get. Um, but their hospital, you know, I mean, if you swing a few transplant patients or expensive, uh, you know, surgical procedures or oncology patients, if you're able to shift a few patients who need expensive care from whatever institution they were going to go to, to your institution because of the U.S. News World Report rankings, you, you can pay for whatever input advertising and, you know, marketing, whatever you have to do many times over, you know, because the scale of that kind of financial shift is significant. So, um, you know, for the hospital rankings, they have a similar um, expert opinion variable so that, um you know, in my specialty, which is pediatric nephrology, it's not an especially large specialty. I mean, there's a few hundred pediatric nephrologists in clinical practice in the whole country. So when they're uh, trying to make their hospital rankings, they send out a survey to pediatric nephrologists and ask, you know, what are the best centers in pediatric nephrology? Where would you send a complicated case or where you know, something like that? And, um, you know, I think probably most of us from, from real experience probably have some sense of that, but you're allowed to think less I think it's either eight or maybe even 10 answers on the ballot. And um, so children's hospitals, for instance, fill up my mailbox with all kinds of crap. You know, I mean, like I got, you know, one thing I put on Twitter was I got these, um, you know, 280 page annual reports that were about this, you know, that this thick from a children's hospital. I got two of them, you know, and, and I don't think that any realistic person sitting in the marketing department thinks that I'm going to really read that 280 page tome about their children's hospital, but it's, it's an attempt to put their name in my head because I got to lift that thing. I got to throw it in the the trash can. And when it lands there, it's going to make this authoritative clunk, you know, and, and it conveys the prestige of the institution, you know, a different children's hospital was sending out of all things, harmonicas. Um, I mean, what, you know, but, but the thing is, it's a memorable, it's a memorable gift. It's the same, it's the same mindset that, that led drug reps to sort of, you know, put their pens in your pocket, you know, years ago, it puts your name in the head and, uh, you know, of the voters. And then when you, you get the U S needs more of a report survey, if you choose to fill it out, which of course only a minority of people do, um, you know, it's, it's there and you might, you know, you receive this gift, you might sort of, um, in some subtle way or on the margins, you might be influenced by it. You know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. My biggest concern historically with U.S. News and World Reports, looking at the methodology, looking at, um, as you mentioned, right, the, these administrators are are taking the time to figure out how do I rank higher? What do I do? To me, all of that was working against the applicant and what is in their best interest and ultimately had zero impact on education quality, right? To me, there was only one variable in there that that I remember. I just scanned through the list again. And that was like faculty to student ratio. (laughs) It was like, what, what can actually impact your education? Right. 
and and so it it makes me mad actually <laughs> that that schools participate in this because by participating in it by wanting to rank higher they are basically saying I want to have higher MCAT scores so that I can rank higher. I want to have higher GPAs so that I can rank higher. Not because we have data that shows that MCATs, higher MCAT scoring students do better for patient care or do better in our curriculum or whatever else. It's just so that we can have a higher rank on U.S. News and World Reports. Yeah, right. I, I think the use of MCAT is especially um, pernicious. And and like you probably already highlighted before, I mean, even if schools tried to sort of abstain from it and said, well, you know, we're, we're looking for a certain kind of student. We we're looking for an MCAT score that's above a certain threshold. And then we're looking at the person and stuff like that. Even if you did that, if your peer institutions continue to recruit students with higher MCAT scores, your ranking is going to go down because whatever your MCAT score median is, is converted to a percentile scale mathematically that's used into the rankings. So your ranking can drop even if your MCAT score stays the same. If, for instance, you know, your peer institutions were, you know, accepting people with higher MCAT scores, you know? Yeah. Why doesn't the AAMC say, you know what? The MCAT scores at each of the institutions that's private data. Other institutions can't see it. U.S. News and World Reports can't see it. It's it. It doesn't matter. Let's not public uh, publicize it. My, I believe that data comes from the school. Does it? Does it come from AMC or does it come from the school? I don't know. <laughs> but but my, the, my I mean, the double AMC is, is the overriding organization. Yeah. Potentially, could uh-huh. they say, "Hey, schools, this is this is public information"? Because technically, it's the double uh-huh. AMC's information, right? Yeah. My, I, I'm actually not sure on that point. My yeah. impression had been that that was one of the data points that they collect from the schools, okay. you know, so that, um, you know, when the schools withdraw, they're saying they're no longer going to provide that because obviously a lot of the data that U.S. News and World Reports uses, they either generate themselves through these mm-hmm. surveys or it's already there publicly for the taking. They just assimilate it. So, yeah. uh, so, you know, obviously like many others have pointed out, I mean, the rankings are going to continue on whether schools choose to participate or not. Yep. It just you know, the, the data that's used in the formula may, may shift or differ. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, a big point that we haven't really talked about is, is the rankings aren't going anywhere, right? They're, they're a financial driver for us news and world reports. Uh, they'll figure out how to create rankings no matter what. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with rankings. Do you just at, at a core? Yeah. No, I don't. I think that, um, you know, the, the problem is not necessarily with rankings it's with the interpretation of rankings and with the metric chasing that, that rankings inspire. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I I forget the exact quote, but you may know it like every, every, uh, every result from a system is like, um, perfectly aligned with how the system was set up or whatever. Right. And so if, if the goal is to, have higher MCAT scores so that we can rank higher in the MCAT news and world reports or whatever, um, then we're going to set up a system that does that. And I'm sorry about all of the lower MCAT scoring students. You can, you can go to a, a, a another school. We don't want you. Um, and so that's, that's my biggest thing is how do we figure out from a data standpoint, from a, um, uh, a validated as much as possible standpoint where we're using data to drive the outcomes of admissions and not 
we want rank. We want the highest MCAT score students regardless of of rank because there's probably some sort of secret society of admissions committee members that are they have badges when they go to their meetings like we our average is 520 <laughs> what was yeah. yours um right I, I like i i don't know i don't know they they're um there's very weak data out there on on mcat score in terms of predictability of board scores and and clinicals and all that fun stuff a lot of the data comes from the double amc which <laughs> i think we all have learned going through this process that if if an organization behind the metrics is the one studying the metrics you probably shouldn't yeah. uh look at them super reliably yeah right. if if you dr carmody were in charge of setting up a brand new system for for medical school admissions what would you want to see well, I think the first thing that you got to say is that, um, you know, I mean, one of the fundamental flaws of U.S. News and World Report rankings is that is, is this sort of unspoken assumption that all schools are trying to do the exact same thing, when yeah. in reality, they're not. I yeah. mean, in reality, um, I mean, it, it may be that, um, you know, what, let's say, Harvard and Johns Hopkins are trying to do are substantially very similar. That may be true. Mm -hmm. But the kind of doctor that... Um, I don't know, um, uniform services is trying to train, you know, their goals, very different, yep. you know, the, the goals that, uh, you know, for Howard or for, um, you know, the medical school where I work, Eastern Virginia medical school, you know, our goals for our graduates are different. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, we're not, I mean, yeah, sure. It'd be nice if somebody, um, got very interested in research and led some, you know, became the chair of some academic division, but that's not really, um, that's not really why we're here. You yeah. know, so I think the first thing that you got to recognize is that different schools have different missions. And yeah. the next thing that you have to look at is what are the admission variables that actually lead to the outputs that you want? You know, yeah. so, um, you know, we've been doing that lately sort of with my residency program, you know, the residency program where I, I work as an associate program director. I mean, one of the reasons that we exist, we want to train pediatricians who um, who serve in the local area, who serve the kids around here. And maybe they get specialty training and come back. But I think we've actually done a pretty good job of that. I mean, a good number of our residents do that. And so we're sort of looking at, I mean, what are the things, you know, how good were we at, at predicting that, you know, on the front end? You know, what are the things that, that, that people told us? And I think that that's a justifiable, you know, mission driven, uh, you know, um, admission process or recruitment process, if you focus on those things. Yeah. And so, I mean, for medical schools, I mean, certainly I think, um, it does the school no good. It does the student no good. If you don't accept students that are academically qualified, I mean, students need to be able to demonstrate in one way or another, whether through GPA or MCAT or whatever, that they have the, you know, the academic horsepower to succeed in that environment because it's, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, yeah. and, and then beyond that, really, I think schools should focus on, I mean, what is the reason this school exists? I mean, what are we here to do? I mean, are, are, is our primary mission just to be a social climber and climb these ranking systems? Or are we actually here to provide something different to society at large? Yeah. I was at a conference in 2019, I think. Uh, it was an admissions summit in Toronto. And it was deans and directors of medical schools and other uh, health profession schools. And I was there as kind of the oddball to be the voice of the pre-med student and um, talk about where the struggles are for pre-med students and, and where medical schools can potentially try to 
improve this situation. And the, the biggest thing that I talked about was transparency. I said, there, there's just a lack of transparency in this process. And I, I'll never forget one of the the directors of admissions at a, a school in the Northeast was like, well, we, we can't be transparent because we're all competing with for the same student. And, and it just, like it goes, what you were saying, right? Every school is doing something a little different. And and to me, that took me, that that meant to me, like all you care about is stats. If you're fighting yeah. over the same student, all you care about are the 528, 4.0 students so that you can work your way up the rankings. And that, that just, it hurts my feelings, right? It just hurts my feelings. I, I don't know how else to put that. I just... I speak to too many students who have amazing stories, who are going to be amazing physicians, who I would love to be at my bedside if, if I'm in the hospital. And they're just not given a shot sometimes because their their stats aren't there compared to, to what schools seem to want these days. Not necessarily what will allow them, as you mentioned, right? We need some baseline level of competency to get through this process. Yeah, we right. have to have that, no doubt. Um, so I don't know. It's just... That's my biggest struggle with with this process, and I'm thankful that some schools are withdrawing their participation from U.S. News and World Reports so that we can hopefully get to a point where schools are like, where is a better place to measure outside of these variables, MCAT, GPA, and selectivity being the big three that I think ultimately hurt students more than help? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I think the same thing applies to residency selection. I mean, which is, I mean, you know, more of my area of expertise, I guess. But, yeah. um, um, you know, there's in, in one sense, I mean, I think there's a comfort in using hard metrics for applicants because it sort of gives you a blueprint of what you should achieve and leaves out the, you know, uncertainty. And I think that most residency applicants and probably most pre-meds, I mean, they, they want to know what they got to do. They're motivated. They're driven. They're like, tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. You know, like what bar do I need to jump over and I'll do it. But I don't think that's the best way you get the most out of human beings because human beings have different talents. And I wish we had a system that sort of was more um, able to recognize people who have God-given talents and want to demonstrate merit in other ways. And they take their talents and they go as far as they, you know, as they can with it. And, and demonstrate things that way. You know, yeah. I wish, I think that's the, that's how you get the most out of all applicants is by letting people, you know, whatever you got, man, you take it as far as you can, you yeah. know, and, and, and show us what you can do. Yeah. Uh, you've been talking a lot recently um, uh, online about, uh, and, and not a lot, and just, I, I've seen some tweets about step one going pass fail, how that's a competency, right? That's a, a licensing exam. I don't think it was ever meant to be scored as a, right. a, a quality metric. It's just like, do you have what we consider as a society, the bare minimum to, to take care of our population? Do you ever see the MCAT going to some sort of pass fail system? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I would not be surprised if um, if at least the scoring changed such that um, at the higher end there was less, um, you know, there was less numeric discrimination 
Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, like, you know, if you look at the predictive validity of the MCAT, if you look at the MCAT's ability to determine, you know, how likely are you to to succeed in the first two years of medical school, which is, of course, what that test is intended to predict. Um, you know, someone who has a, a 526 and a 520 probably don't have any difference in their outcomes, yeah. you know? And in fact, actually, I mean, the outcomes don't significantly drop until you get closer to the 500, you yeah. know, Mark, if I remember correctly. Yep. And so, you know, but, but yet if we have systems like us news and World report, that are giving you a percentile. Well, then you have a strong incentive to take someone with, you know, a, a 518 rather than a 514, yeah. you know, a 520 rather than a 517, even though, I mean, those may actually, that, that numeric difference may not confer much more predictive validity because you're already at the flat of the curve for the yep. outcomes you care about. So I would not be surprised actually if AMC um, at some point did move to a way of reporting scores such that um, you know high scores were reported as greater than you know something or other. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're running a um, they're running a business, you know, <laughs> and so <laughs> they wouldn't do that unless <laughs> unless they had good belief that. Um, you know, the deans would be okay with that. You know, the yeah. admissions deans, you know, that's what they wanted and that would be useful to them. So I don't think it's going to be something that catches people by surprise. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the the thing that popped into my mind when you mentioned that is is the way that Casper scores are actually recorded. And they're re- recorded as quartiles. You're either 0 to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to 75, or 75 to 100. Um, and it's it's interesting that... So yeah, like maybe MCAT scores should potentially be in very similar buckets because we know like, are you going to be a better doctor if you score a 528 versus a 515? Probably not, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they certainly could report scores in any way that they chose. I mean, yep. they could report scores as instead of reporting a number, they could simply report in accordance with the predictability of the, of the test instrument. They could report the probability that your score, which they might keep to themselves, mm-hmm. the probability that your score would result in, you know, successful completion of the first year of medical school on time. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what my score is, but I know my probability is 98% or yeah. 96% or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see a world where there's just so much data that we're gathering as a as a society with technology these days? Do you ever see a world where whether it's for USMLE uh, or Comlex or or all the way back to the MCAT or SAT ACT if that's still around in the future where we can go, you know what, Dr. Carmody, we have 10 years of you as a practicing physician. We see um, what your, um, what your patient satisfaction scores are, what your outcomes are, what your readmission rates are, wh- whatever the, the data is for you as a practicing physician based on your specialty and tie it all the way back to, oh, you, you got a, a very bad score in your MCAT. Now I can see why you're a terrible doctor, right? Do you think like, because ultimately that's the ultimate question to me is, how are you going to be as a doctor, right? Again, obviously, we have to make sure you're going to get through medical school and pass the boards and all that fun stuff. But yeah. patient outcomes are the gold standard measurement. Do you see a world where we can tie, figure out some correlations of all that <laughs> well, stuff? Well, I can tell you that uh, 
there are entities that are interested in creating that kind of data. I mean, yeah. And I'll tell you, entities are generally entities that um, that offer some of the testing involved. So they're very yeah. interested in tying, you know, USMLE scores to patient outcomes or, or you know, or similar things. So um, it can be done. Mm. <laughs> when it's done, it will have a, a very wide confidence interval on your estimate. And um, what, what does that mean for someone who doesn't know what that means? So, um, so you might be able to show an association between, you know, someone's USMLE score, let's say, and um, uh, I don't know, their patient mortality rate for some condition in the hospital years later. Um, but the, um, it doesn't mean that all the points on that estimate fall on a single line. You know, there may be actually quite a, a bit of spread such that it, it really negates the 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 real interpretive value of the existence of a statistical difference. Yeah. And, and moreover, the other thing is it will always include confounding because, um, you know, it's not that these scores exist in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, someone with higher SAT scores, I'll tell you, someone with higher SAT scores and lower SAT scores, they don't differ in just terms of their SAT score. They differ in whatever life experience led up to them taking the test. Yep. And then more importantly, for whatever you're trying to predict, the SAT score itself sets in motion other things that may impact the variable that you're interested in. Yep. So with a higher SAT score, well, they may get, um, you know, scholarship money. And they may have a more um, a, a greater ability to um, you know study for the MCAT because they're not working a work study job, let's say, you know. So and then they get a, a higher MCAT score, and then guess what? Now they um, you know get into a, a, a better U.S. News and World Report medical school, and now they get into a better residency, and they go to a better training hospital, and so now there's you've introduced all these other variables um, that that have real impacts on the outcome that you're interested in measuring. And it's hard to say whether it was the SAT score or whether it was the fact that you went to a better medical school or went to a better residency training program where you had broader experience or, you know, or whether it was in fact something collinear mm. with the SAT score that from early life. So, you know, you can make these mathematical models and depending on who, how sophisticated of a person is listening to you talk about it. They may buy it or they may not. If you're talking to me, I'm not probably not going to buy it. <laughs> but, yeah. but some people probably will. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, getting back to U.S. News and World Reports, all of the schools have not removed their participation from from the rankings. What does that say about the schools that are still participating? What What can a student think about that school? Yeah. Well, I think that it, it, you know, for each of the schools that have um, that have removed themselves, they have made the decision that staying in the the rankings was more expensive or more constraining than it was valuable to them. All the schools that have chosen to stay in have made the opposite decision. They have weighed the same data and they have come down on the other side of it, saying, you know, actually, we believe we'll get better applicants more applicants it'll ease our faculty recruiting it'll improve our name recognition for the hospital rankings that we really care about you know whatever the side benefits of participating are are they're gonna you know they've, they've chosen to side on that side of it so i think it's reasonable to expect that um i mean like you said us news World reports not going away they're going to continue to rank things it's likely that they will I mean, they'll have to reconfigure their methodology somewhat. Mm -hmm. It's likely they'll reconfigure it in a way that will 
punish the schools that have tried to that have withdrawn. Now, I don't think that I, I, I mean, I mean, this may sound cynical. I don't believe that they'll do that in a way that um, that would call into question the you know the authority of their rankings. You know, if, if you drop Johns Hopkins, you know, or Stanford to you know number fifty, well, now your your rankings have lost some face validity. But I do think that they will configure their formulas to um, to benefit the schools that have maintained submitting data. And so I think it's reasonable to assume that if your school is a you know a school that was in the you know the teens or the twenties, you might have a chance of you know rising a few spots you know, as other schools sort of slide a little bit. So I think that's part of the calculus too. Who ultimately wins with this kind of reconfiguration of, of the U.S. News and World Report's rankings? I think it depends where you sit. I think um, um, I think that the individual schools, whether they choose to stay or whether they choose to go, I think they view themselves as, as probably being winners, you know, because they're going to they've made a decision that's that's right for them. I think for students, honestly, I don't think students win or lose. I think that, uh, you know, if you were a, a pre-med student who, for whatever reason, um, had been so socially isolated that you were just completely unaware of what schools people think are the best medical schools, yeah. well, then I imagine then the U.S. News Report rankings would provide a, a useful piece of knowledge to you. But otherwise, they sort of recreate the rankings that everybody already had in their head. And, and like I say, tend to, um, you know, to perpetuate and, and reduplicate those, you know, that same rank order list. Um so I, I don't think it probably changes much for medical education. I think that it does free up some admissions officers to be a little bit less metric driven mm -hmm. and less in pursuit of metrics that have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of metric of education that's provided. A good example there is, I mean, it's a small piece of the rankings, but the rankings still include acceptance rate. Yeah. You know, so I mean, think what perverse incentives that creates for student for schools to, you know, drive up applications from people who are realistically not going to get into the school yeah. just to keep, you know, that doesn't help anybody that just drives yeah. up costs and, you know, uh, it, it helps no one. So I, I hope that schools will feel a little bit less bound to some of the, the foolish metric chasing that these rankings inspired. Who loses? Uh, U.S. News Report is um, is floundering. <laughs> I mean, with this because you know, I mean, you know, thirty years ago, U.S. News Report was a, a journalistic, uh, you know, news reporting, you know, business. Now it's a ranking reporting business. Yeah. And um, but the the value of that business really depends on how much faith we all put in these rankings. Mm -hmm. And I think that. Um, you know, in a, in a small but measurable way, I mean, I think this does diminish their stature and yeah. I think that it will hurt their business, particularly if the contagion spreads from law schools, now to medical schools, now to other schools or other things. Um, you know, it, it, it will, I think that it will continue to hurt their business. Yeah. For the pre-med who goes on to student doctor network, goes on to Reddit and looks at and discusses uh, I want to go to a top 10. I want to go to a top 20. 99% uh, of the time referring to U.S. News and World Report rankings. What do you say to that student to help them potentially see that that makes almost zero difference in the quality of their education and the opportunities they'll have as a physician? 
Yeah. So I think I think you have to clarify because we I go through this with people with residencies too. Um, what what is it about the top ten school or the top ten program that um, that you want? And and I think you got to be real honest, at least in your own head, with what that thing is. And and for some people, I mean, to be frank, it's just the name, it's just the prestige. It's just if you want to be able to post it on Instagram or tell your friends or whatever, yep. you know, because it's sort of an instant CV. You know, you may not be able to talk about your MCAT score with people that aren't close to you, but if you say, I got into such and such, well, people think they know what your MCAT score probably was, you know? So it's sort of an instant CV, you know? Um, but in terms of your opportunity, it may not matter that much, you know? I mean, it depends what your career goals are. If your goal is to be, um, you know, a, an internist or emergency medicine doctor and actually treat patients, um, then, you know, honestly, where you go to school is probably not going to matter very much. If on the other hand, the only thing that makes you want to go into medicine is that you want to be the, you know, the, the chair of otolaryngology at an Ivy league institution, well, buddy, you better start working on your CV now. And for you, yeah, you really should. You really should go to, um, you know, the most prestigious school that you can, cause it's going to matter. And you're going to have to keep playing that social climbing game for the rest of your life. And, um, and, and for some people, I mean, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I think for most physicians, it's not really what brings you joy. Um, but I, I think you got to be honest with yourself. So I think um, it's good to start that early and have a realistic idea about what your career goals are and um, and where they're going to be served. And, um, um, you know, for many things, the, uh, the rankings are, are, like you said, they're probably not very relevant. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about with U.S. News and World Report rankings that I think that you think need to be mentioned? Um, well, I think the thing to emphasize for pre-meds is that, I mean, which you probably have done, you know, previously is that there's really nothing in the rankings that, that really measures the educational inputs, you know, that are, that are going into your, your, your training. And um, that's something that you should consider. I mean, these days, most medical students, you know, use or rely extensively on third-party resources, not so much the faculty, you know? Mm. Um, but your clinical rotations, the resources of the hospital, whether you're going to have to go to six different places or whether it's all in-house, whether you're going to have to schedule your own rotations, whether you have mentors in the field that you want to go into, all that's highly variable. And yeah. none of that's captured by U.S. News and World Report. But again, depending on your career goals, and depending on how, you know, what, what you want out of medical school, those things may be highly relevant. Yeah. Um, that previous episode for, for people who want to go take a look is premedyears.com slash 432. And that's where I just, I went down each of the, the different variables in the methodology and, uh, <laughs> spoke my mind <laughs> as I, as I right? do. Um, well, Dr. Brian Carmody, the sheriff of sodium, people can find you at the sheriff or JB Carmody on Twitter, where you, um, are crushing it with all of your followers. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing with our audience. No, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Brian Carmody, find him on Twitter, JB Carmody on Twitter. He's a pediatric nephrologist and he has lots of opinions like I do. So it was a great conversation about what this looks like, what what this means for students, for schools, for institutions, all that good stuff. Hope you enjoyed our episode today. We'll talk to you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. 
This is MedEd Media.